Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Startup Sales. Today, we have a really exciting guest, uh, David Brock. He's a multi-time founder. He sits on many boards. He's an advisor to startups and big companies. Uh, he's written a couple books, and we're really going to dive in deep today on some of the things that he sees founders do wrong uh, a lot, which is kind of going blindly and adopting the wrong uh, kind of business model. So we're going to go in deep onto that. We're going to talk about your ICP uh, and learning from customers. It's going to be a terrific episode, and I hope you really enjoy it. And if you're an early stage startup and you're wanting to know how to structure your calls uh, to be better, how to run your demo, figuring out your pricing, we have a startup sales uh, boot camp that you can find out more information on our website, which is startupsales.io. Again, that's startupsales.io. And uh, in this boot camp, we run over everything on how to build your business uh, on the sales side. So for more information, go over there to Startup Sales, and let's get into today's episode. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Hey, Dave, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Adam. I really appreciate the invitation. It's good we finally connected. Yeah, I see your books on Amazon and everything, and I, I'm really excited to have you here. Uh, for, the, for the guests, for everybody uh, listening, can you tell a little bit about who you are and your background? Yeah, yeah. For, I'm Dave Brock. Uh, I'm the author of the Sales Manager Survival Guide and the up, soon-to-be-released Sales Executive Survival Guide. I run a boutique consulting company called Partners in Excellence, and we there are 15 of us scattered around the world, and we'd work with all sorts of companies in their business strategy, growth strategies, and sales and marketing strategies. Okay. And you work with a lot of uh, early-stage startups? We uh, Well, I have founded several early-stage startups and had a couple of very successful exits. I've founded a couple and had very unsuccessful exits and a few in between. And I currently sit on the boards of a number of uh, software startup companies and, uh, and advise a lot of them as a consultant. Okay. So you, you, you've been around the block a few times. A few too many, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, I want to just kind of jump really into conversation. And you, we were talking before we started recording about uh, something that you see happen way too often is that founders just follow blindly uh, other people, not taking into account there's different kinds of situations. Can you dive into that? Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, I, I think it's, um, what I do is I find too many founders adopt the wrong business model or the wrong go-to-market model. And it's based on what they've seen somebody else do. So, I mean, we see this in Silicon Valley all the time is, is there is a certain model for startup companies that appears to be really successful in Silicon Valley and everybody cookie cutters it, whether it's, it's the founders have watched those companies, they've been parts of those companies, 
or their VCs are encouraging them for that. You know, the biggest example is the SaaS company. Well, I, I'm not sure I know what a SaaS company is. Is a SaaS is a form of IT implementation that's cloud-based. A SaaS yeah. is a form of a payment system that's subscription-based. There's the SaaS selling methodology that, frankly, is a, a high-volume, low-price transactional selling model. Um, that works wonderfully if that's who your customers are. But if your customers are enterprise organizations, that fails miserably. Yeah. Yeah, it's it. I see a lot like people taking advice from from brand name people that if people have that really big name or a big following, and, and to only go down the wrong route just because it's it doesn't match their buyers or their buying cycle. And yeah, yeah, they build based on what's popular, what's fashionable, but not out of an understanding of who their customers are and how their customers buy. And in fact, that's how, you know, a lot of startup companies, after they've gone through that and struggled and failed, they end up coming to us and say, what are we doing that's not working? And, and it's really your business model and your go-to-market model is completely inappropriate for who your customers are. So the founders that are listening now, what should they be looking for uh, to, to make sure they don't have to call you uh, at this stage anyways? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think they need to be very clear about who their customer is and, and not just, you know, we sell to this kind of function. You know, there are a lot of sales types of people, sales types of packages out there, marketing packages. So we sell to marketing people, we sell to sales people, we sell to agile product development people or those kinds of things. They have to be very clear about who their ideal customer is. You know, and that has to be both kind of a firmographic uh, identification, a demographic identification, and kind of a fit a cultural fit organization, they have to be very clear about how those customers buy. Is it um, a transaction? Am I selling to individuals or am I selling to uh, departments? Do I have a, a customer that this is they're reasonably well-educated, maybe not in your product or technology, but they're reasonably well-educated about the application in, in the use and, and they can make a decision on their own. Or am I selling an enterprise-based solution where a huge number of people are going to be involved and, and their buying process is going to be very complex? And it turns out the issue in selling to them is less about your product, but more about how do you organize them and help them buy. And too often, I talk to founders who've not taken the time to do that. Uh, I believe strongly that founders, regardless of their backgrounds, needs to take, need to take the time to do that, need to be out with their customers and understand that. Uh, too often I see, and, and I, I'm doing a run-on question here, but, but too often <laughs> I, see, I see founders who have a technical background that don't want to get in front of the customers. Well, until you start learning about the customers yourself, um, you don't know what questions to ask or what to look for in putting a sales organization in place. Yeah, and you're just making assumptions based off of your feeling 
and not actually what the customer, their pain is, what they want, what they need, and their processes. Yeah. Yeah. Last week, I had an, a conversation with a very interesting CEO. I mean, he has a, 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 a software and kind of the product develop, software development space and so on and so forth. And he's been around, they've been around for about five years. They kind of grew a little bit. They plateaued and he couldn't figure out why they plateaued. And he's a, you know, a, a coder, he's a developer. And he summoned up his courage. And for the last year and a half, all he's been doing is selling. And he's, I mean, he's had his teeth kicked in a number of times, but he started, you know, understanding what it takes to sell. And he's starting to develop some premises. And interestingly enough, he's hiring people. He has now, I think, about five people in his organization. And when I look at their performance and I look at how quickly they're scaling, they never would have gotten to this point unless the CEO had taken the time and had the courage to really understand what it takes to be successful. And, and so now he's trying to fine tune it and say, how do I go to the next level? And how do I scale even further? But, you know, too few CEOs I see are, are doing that. Yeah, and it, it's just a quick and easy solution. Oh, I'll just hire somebody uh, and they'll do it. But they don't understand that it's, it's so vital for the founder to be doing it, even if you're a technical person and you're bad at sales, because it also helps you don't know if the person you hire is going to be doing it correctly or not. Well, that's it. You don't know the questions to ask or, or, or the things to look for. Um, you know, if you're the top, one of the top executives in the company, you're going to be spending lots of times with customers. So you really need to understand who they are, how they work and how they buy. Absolutely. I even recommend uh, before even the selling phase, or as part of the selling phase that the founders, if they can, they go shadow their clients, uh, you know, and see what their, how, what their product would be doing, what problem that they're solving, how they could actually, what their clients actually do day to day with that. That's a really great suggestion. I mean, we've used that, I mean, not only with startups, but we use it with very, very large organizations that are trying to bring new products to market. There's nothing better than going out, shadowing your customers and seeing what challenge, challenges they have and how you can help them do it. You know, and yeah. you really get to the heart of, there's nothing more compelling is than, you know, I sat with you and saw you struggling with these things, and here's how we eliminate that problem. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah. really compelling. It's a built-in, it, it will sell itself once, you, once they show you how much problems they're having. Yeah, yeah, but that's, of course, that's doing what you should do, and that's doing the hard work. And yeah. too many people are looking for the shortcuts and, you know, the startup across the street is doing it this way. So even though they're selling something completely different to a different company, you know, they're in their A round, we're in our A round, we must be the same thing. I'll copy them, Yeah, which is the sure kiss of death. So if I'm an early, if I'm an early stage founder and I'm going to start doing sales, but what are like a couple hints and tips, where should I get started? You know, I think doing sales conjures up a whole bunch of unnatural acts um, and things like that. You know, what, what I like to do is say, 
Um, I'm a founder. I'm here to serve my customers by helping them solve problems. So what are the problems they have and how do I help them solve problems? And if you go and you're actually working with them to solve problems and forget all the sales jargon about qualifying, about objection handling, about negotiation, and all these tricks and, and techniques that we use, if you're a founder, just say, I'm here to serve you and help solve your problems. These are the problems I'm the best in the world at solving. How can we solve those together? And you start working with them. And through that, and this is exactly what uh, this CEO I spoke to last week did, is through that, he discovered, geez, I'm very successful working with this customer. I'm doing the same thing with this customer. I'm tuning it and doing the same thing with other customers. Now he's defining what his sales process is. He's defining what his sales model is. And it's what's magic about it, it's driven from a customer perspective not driven from what I've read in some book and I'm, you know, I'm supposed to put in place SDRs. They do the first thing. Then I have demo guys and they do the, the thing. Then I have an AE and so on and so forth, you know, which, you know, half the time those poor SDRs give me a call and they challenge me with a, a question. And I say, well, that's interesting. What can you tell me about that in my business? And they don't know what to do. Yeah. So, you know, so, I, I think the best advice to a founder is there's nothing magic about selling. It is, in some sense, a specialized application of project management. And hopefully most founders know something about project management. And so they do, they do that with the customers. They sit with the customers, establish some goals and milestones, work together to achieve those goals and milestones, keep going at one point a milestone as a PO. Yeah. And I think it's a really good way to look at it that way is one step at a time. Don't look at it for the sale. And you, you say don't qualify, like don't focus on the qualifying. Obviously, you have to qualify. But I always say like qualification should be more of you're asking the questions, talking to them listening to them and then asking the deep follow-up questions. Yeah. And I actually, I may have miscommunicated. I actually think qualification or rather disqualification is critical yeah. you know and and so so that means a couple of things um one is am i hitting my ideal customer profile um you can think of it as a bullseye or a tar an archery target what i'm trying to do is define what are the characteristics of those customers that sit at the very center of that. And what if I focus all my energy on those people? And for an early stage startup, it turns out that bullseye is a, an extraordinarily large population. Getting some fraction of that enables you to scale wide, wildly. The second thing is to say, you know, what is their compelling need to change? And, and as part of that, what are the consequences of them not doing it? Yeah. So once you have that, then it, and if it's coming from the customer and they totally understand that if I don't make this change by this date, here are the things that will happen as a result of that. We'll, we may lose some sales. We won't be able to bring a product to market. 
we won't be able to achieve the performance levels, blah, 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 whatever it might be. But once you have that, you have that compelling need for, and you've qualified the customer. Anybody that you can't get to that point may be a customer, but not, not now, not this month, not this quarter, maybe not this year. You should continue to nurture them and help build that sense of urgency. But if you, you have them and they're, they're in your ICP, but they have no compelling need to change, uh, you're wasting their time and they're wasting your time. Absolutely. Work on the, the easy wins, I tell my clients. No, don't work on the ones that are not going to close this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a, a, a customer, uh, they, were, they weren't a startup, but they were a very small company. And they were working with a very large customer who was uh, trying to bring a new product to market. And if that customer didn't uh, bring that new product to market by a certain deadline, the customer had told them, we will lose $500 million of potential revenue in the next quarter. And we won't be able to gain that for at least two years. Yeah. So that compelling event enabled the, the salespeople to be very proactive in selling as, as the customer went through their buying process and as delays ended up coming up. You know, the, you know, they just did project manager mode. They said, you know, if you don't make a decision by this date, you won't have the tools in place to be able to make this product launch and you're going to lose $500 million in revenue uh, that you can't regain for another two years. It's yeah. those kinds of things that get customers to focus. It's those kinds of things. I leverage it all the time with my own clients is that, that you can be really pushy for that uh, yeah. because it's the, the customer's interest. If you're being pushy to get a PO, the customer should throw you out. And it's and it's really important for everyone listening to also know that it's okay to ask these kind of questions. Ask, hey, do you have any deadlines? Ask, get into this kind of conversation where you're learning about their needs and and the repercussions of not purchasing. Well, the magic is ninety percent of salespeople aren't asking that question. So if you're asking it, you're really setting yourself apart, and you're having yeah. a discussion about their business and their pro problem. Yeah. Because you're not there to sell your features. You're there to solve their problem yeah. and help them. Yeah. You were talking about ICP. Mm -hmm. And one thing I get a lot from, uh, from all the founders I speak with is, yeah, but we, we, we help everybody. It doesn't need to just be one ideal client. What do you say to that? Uh, I, well, the plight thing is, is that's PS. Um, <laughs> Is and I would if we weren't uh, going over a podcast, I'd, I'd be more explicit. But uh, uh, you, you know, it really isn't true. And, and the analogy I like to have is a lot of what we're talking about goes back to Jeffrey Moore's crossing the chasm. How do we start up? Who are target customers, and so on. But he has this beautiful analogy: is that he has this bowling alley analogy. And I like to think look at the ICP in the sense that. My ICP is that head pin. And if I hit that head pin, it makes it easier then for me to hit the next two pins after that, then the, the pins after that, and so on. So as I grow, it allows me to scale in a very interesting, very disciplined way. 
if if um, if you're doing a scatter shot and you say my customer is the world, then the problem you're facing is you're not developing any expertise or competence to talk to the customer. You're almost starting selling from ground zero all over again. So if if today I'm talking to um, a hospital and I'm talking to surgeons and business managers about applying my technology in a certain way, tomorrow I'm talking to a professional services company and 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 I'll, I'm talking to them about the same problem, but in a very different context. And the day after tomorrow, I'm talking to a, a manufacturing company. What I'm doing is I'm not leveraging my learning very effectively. So so the way I, I do it is, you know, the sales process for your initial sale is very very long. But then if I go into and let's say the hospital, if I learn how to be successful in that hospital. The next time, because I've learned quite a bit, is my selling cycle is going to be reduced quite a bit. My probability of winning is going to be increased. And then the third hospital, I'll compress that even more, and my probability of winning will be higher for a couple of reasons. One is I'm smarter and I know how to talk to the right customers in the right way. Two is now I have references. Yeah, Uh, You know, a hospital reference is meaningless to a manufacturing reference, you know, so now I'm really leveraging and I have the ability to scale very, very rapidly. So while you may have something that, that, that everybody in the world can use, the way you get everybody in the world is one segment at a time. And, and you use the head pin model to say, you know, who's, who's the first target we're going after? Who are the next two adjacent targets after that, once we've started establishing a presence there, and then the three after that? And that's the way you scale really effectively and efficiently. I was brought into a startup in 2002 as CEO. Uh, some VCs I know were uh, investing in it, and, and I decided to co-invest with them under the condition that I be named CEO. It was an AI software um, uh, tool. When I went in, I drew a matrix. I said, here are all the functions that you can support, manufacturing, development, financials, blah, 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 blah. Here are all the industries you can support, um, you know, and healthcare, manufacturing, R&D, you know, all the, all the different kinds of industries. Um, and then I say, tell me where you've been selling it. Well, they got up and they checked every box there. And I said, and tell me about your success. Well, you know, they'd only sold about half a dozen licenses and were struggling. Uh, this was licensed software at the time. It turned to cloud later. Um, and they were struggling to grow. And I said, okay, cool. You get to choose two industry, two of those cells that we focus on. And nothing else. And, you know, and they said, oh, no, you can't possibly do this. Um, you know, that's what we're going to do. So you get to choose which two cells we're going to focus on. And we did that in that concentration of focus and effort that building that reputation in those two areas enabled us to, to actually quintuple our growth in six months. And then later over time, we'd add another cell and another cell and another cell. But because we were, they had been diffusing their efforts across too many spaces, 
they weren't developing any expertise and knowledge. Uh, it's uh, first of all, I love the bowling analogy because it really paints such a clear picture on how important this is and how it works. And I, I hope every founder goes back and listens to this segment if that's the only thing they listen to, because that's so important. Because you're right, you learn how to speak to the people, you learn how to sell them, you learn what what pain points they have that you need to be talking about and what questions to ask and how how the sales process goes. I think it's wildly important. Because you've talked to other people like them and you know the questions to ask, even know things like the language to use. Is yeah. The language I might use with one industry is very different than the language for the same problem in a different industry. So you're much more credible and relevant. And again, it's the fastest way of scaling I've ever seen. Yeah. It's a uh, power of focus. It really allows you to to get there. So many times they're like, no, but I, I could go here. I could go here. And I'm telling him, no, just, just choose one. If the other people come to you, talk to them. Don't close the door on them. But just choose and, one and go after them. And that's the most thing is, is you know, I have, I say choose one or two, but never anymore. And, you know, they'll push back. They, you know, they want to do more. They, you know, they want to eat the elephant in one bite. Uh, and, and pretty soon you realize you eat the elephant. Uh, but, you know, rather than starting to, in a different way, say, how do I start here? Eat a lot of bites really quickly. And how do I start scaling really quickly? Yeah. That's terrific. So once I have the ICP figured out, uh, or that I'm going to focus on one ICP. How do I define that? Well, I think I think you define it as when we started this conversation in a very rich way. It's not instance uh, since we started with hospitals. I, well, I'll say hospitals. It's not hospitals of this size or the uh, 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 cardio surgery unit or things like that. It's hospitals that fit certain characteristics. Some of it may be size. Interestingly enough, some of it is, is culture and operating mode. Um, so, for, for instance, there are companies that we actively prospect to that we know because of their culture and their operating mode, the way we work, the way we prospect and sell, really resonates with them. They love it. They want to engage us and so on. There are other companies in the very same industry that have a very different operating model, a very different culture. They may both be the same size. They may be head-to-head competitors with each other, but they have a very different operating mode that doesn't resonate very well with us, or we don't resonate well with them. So what we end up doing is we end up wasting a lot of time. So in those companies, we will never prospect to them. You know, if they call us up and they want to do something with us, we'll do something. And so I think in startups, it's very important to look at this rich thing, not just the industries, (coughs) not just the demographics in terms of size. We go after SMB, we go after super large and so on and so forth. Uh, Those things are all important, but but look at their culture and operating mode, particularly for startups. Um, are these people innovators, or are they are they laggards? 
you know, as a startup, you're going to get most people, your best audience are people who are innovators, who are continuing to challenge their own industry about what they do. Um, do they have a culture oriented around change? Do they have a culture oriented around risk? And those sorts of things. So those end up becoming richer criteria that say, if I target those, they're be going to be more willing to invest in us knowing that we're a small company, we may not have a track record, there, there may be some risk, there may be some shared discovery and some shared learning in this versus another company that on paper looks exactly the same, but that's a laggard. You know, they're always the last to adopt a new technology. They're always the last to do something. They're driven purely on price and so on and so forth. So while the firmographics and the demographics may look very much the same, the operating mode is what's most critical. Uh, it's, uh, it's something that not very many people talk about, and it's a very uh, unique approach to, to defining your ICPs by looking at that. I like it. You said you. something, yeah, you said something uh, about clients uh, or prospects uh, buying you even though you're a small company. And I want to dive into that. Like mm -hmm. as a startup, you're a small company, you're early stage, and this is a fear that many founders have is, well, how, why are they going to buy from us? We're, we're early stage. We don't have any other clients. How, what do you say to that? So, so it kind of goes back to the just the the media preceding uh, conversation. Is companies of all sizes are looking for new ideas? They're looking for innovation. Um, they're they're looking for change, and and they're willing to accept risk. Um, and so they know that a lot of those new fresh ideas are going to be coming from smaller companies. You know, so they know how to work with smaller companies. They know the risks and challenges of working with those uh, smaller companies. Um, but that's part of their business model. That's part of their model about how they innovate and grow and change. But again, it's those people that have that kind of profile. You know, you'll never get a laggard to do that. A laggard is going to say, tell me how many thousands of customers you have. Tell me how much success you have. Tell me your NPS. Tell me the armies of support and so on and so forth you have. You know, they're the wrong customers to do this, and they'll never buy from you until you, until you become a billion-dollar company and you now can address laggards and all. So, so again, it's who has the operating model that accepts this and they, I mean, they've probably, you know, one of the things to look at in prospecting is what kinds of early stage companies have they worked with before? Not yeah. competitive to you, but in maybe other segments, because you give them, you get an idea. Of, they understand how to do this. They understand how to work with them in a, with startups in a way that helps both out. Yeah. I also say to, to founders is, it's also in the way that you speak, like, well, what all you said is true, but if they're not speaking in that way, like, oh, how much support do you have and this and that, and they're, they're okay buying early stage startup, it's in the way that you speak and you need to have the confidence. And if you don't bring it up and you don't speak like that, 
and you speak on a, like you're a partner with them and you ask them the insightful questions, they're going to have confidence in you because you seem like a professional. Yeah. I, I mean, and it's, it's, you know, it's, these are people that want to solve a problem and do something different and, and be innovators and change. So they recognize this, you know, this startup in, in AI based startup in 2002. I mean, we were, when I became CEO, we were, I think, somewhere 25 to 30 people. And we had a small number of customers, very loyal customers. Those customers ended up being giants like uh, GE, Daimler, uh, Lufthansa, and so on. But they knew, you know, they knew how to work with us. They knew the risks of working with us. So what we did is we found we were learning a lot from them because they helped us understand what it took to work with very, very large companies with that, you know, they knew that we were there to help them be very successful with a problem that they could not solve without us. You know, so it ended up being very synergistic and very work good. So you have to, as a, a founder, be open to constantly learning from those early customers. And, and you have to be honest with them about what you can do and what you can't do. And, and have them help you with it. I mean, there was at one point where I was having to ship a very, it was a very complex thing in the very early days of AI. I was having to ship an engineer with every product that we sold. And these are all big enterprise uh, things. So there were multi-million for each and, and the customers were paying for them. But I'd sit down with the customer and say, this isn't a sustainable business model. How can you help me change this? You know, so they want you to be successful. And yeah. so you have to have the courage to engage them in helping you be successful. How else can you engage you with your prospects, uh, with your clients and, and learn from them? What are some other good ways to do that? Well, I, I think, I mean, there are a number of techniques. You know, the, the thing that you mentioned earlier in this, this uh, discussion was shadowing them, I think is a very, very powerful. I think having uh, customer, uh, customer groups where you get them together and, and you have structured discussions around certain areas. I think spending a lot of time with the customers. I think listening to your salespeople. Um, all of those things. I, I think it, it really is more of a mindset about how are we open and how do we learn. Um, and too often, I see startup uh, CEOs who have some level of arrogance that say, <laughs> I am the expert in this. You know, you, I, I was talking to somebody uh, maybe about six months ago. He had an impressive background with Google. He'd been a senior technology executive. You know, he'd said all the right things. The problem was, is when you got him in front of the customer, he was talking and pitching all the time, and he never took the time to ask them questions or to learn from them because he thought he knew it all. And ultimately, yeah. you know, he was, uh, the company still is around. I'm still working with them. He's no longer the CEO. Yeah, it happens. You have to put the ego aside uh, to in order to grow and, and learn. The most see the one thing that's really magic about startups is 
it's learning on steroids, constant learning on steroids. And if you don't have that mindset to know that we're going to make mistakes, we're going to get our teeth kicked in and, and so on and so forth. Um, um, but how do I learn from that and how do I grow from it? So to be really successful, you have to constantly be learning. You have to constantly be innovating and you have to make that customer part of that learning process with you. Yeah. All right. When new clients come to you, what is something that you, that you see like that they are always misunderstanding as it comes to sales? Um, most of them have read some sort of popular book or, or too many blog posts and so on from gurus and things like that. And they believe that their sales model is, is this. And they don't understand enough. I mean, and those books and those gurus are good for what they're presenting. But because of their lack of experience in selling, the CEOs or the founders don't know what questions they should ask. All they do is see, you know, five of the companies in my VC's portfolio company, portfolio are doing this kind of thing and they're being really successful. So I should start doing it. And you kind of get the VCs and board meetings starting to do that as well. I remember yeah. I was sitting on, on the board. Uh, of a, a company and the VC was a lead VC with a very, very large venture capital company. Uh, and he's a good guy and a close friend of mine, but he was arguing for something in, in the sales organization because the other companies whose boards he was sitting on were doing the same thing. And I had to say, look, that works for them because of these reasons. This company is different. And he got it really quickly. And also, I, I think too often is people don't understand enough about how their customers buy. Um, and instead, we so that's an outward in kind of process versus an inward out process, which is this is what we do because I see everybody else uh, in my my companies, in, in my VC uh, sponsors portfolio doing the same thing yeah. uh, you, you you eventually find the rules for success for doing that but the time to results is much cheaper if you always start with the customer much, much faster and cheaper if you always start with the customer and how they buy and work that backwards to say how do we then sell to them in a way that complements how they buy I think it's great advice. Start with, start with the customer, finding out who they are, and then it, how to know, buy it, and work backwards. It's amazing. I, I do this for startup companies. I do this for extraordinarily large companies. We always start from ourselves and work out where it's, it's so much faster and it's so much cheaper if you <laughs> just start with the customer and work backwards. They know yeah. how they want to buy. Um, yeah. Great. Well, uh, Dave, I really appreciate you coming on today and, and sharing with us. Uh, I've got a couple more questions before we wrap things up. But before that, is there a way for people to reach out to you? Yeah, uh, people can reach out to me at my email. It's d-a-b-r-o-c-k at e-x-c-e-l-l-e-n-c dot com. It looks like the word excellence. So sometimes you're, you're 
uh, you'll autocorrect it, but it's actually without the last E. It's E-X-C-E-L-L-E-N-C.com. I'm very active in um, LinkedIn. Look me up, send me an invite, involve me in a conversation. Twitter is at David A. Brock, or you can get an idea of how we think and what I do uh, at my blog site, partnersinexcellenceblog.com. Okay. And what are the books that you have written again? What are the names? uh, 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 Sales Manager Survival Guide, which focuses on frontline sales managers and really tactical day-to-day execution, has been out a couple of years. Coming up early this spring is Sales Executive Survival Guide, which focuses more on the CEO and the top sales executive about how to think more strategically about the sales function in your organization and build high-performing organizations. Terrific. I'll put a link also to your LinkedIn in the show notes so people could Super, quickly find that. Yep. Um, but before we go, just a few uh, quick questions. Uh, what one piece of advice do you have for all the founders out there? I, you know, I think, you know, constantly learn, spend as much time with your customers as possible, constantly learn and go out and try and sell yourself. Okay, great. And besides your own, what, uh, is there a book that you recommend or somebody to follow that you recommend? Um, there is, you know, one of the things we're seeing is in absence a real gap in skills around critical thinking. Uh, problem solving and so on. The very best blog site I know of has nothing to do with sales. Uh, it's called Farnham Street Blog. And it really is an investor site, uh, originally an investor site oriented around Charlie Munger and, and uh, um, Warren Buffett. But they get into critical thinking, building models, how we build success and so on. And 100% of everything I've seen there has absolute applicability in driving higher levels of sales performance and customer engagement. Terrific. Uh, Dave, thanks again. Really appreciate you coming on. Well, I'm so flattered that you invited me to be part of this. I mean, you've had some really distinguished guests in the past. So thank you so much, Adam. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io.